He has risen. He has risen. He's also conquered the grave. He's also been brought back to life. He has defeated death. He has swallowed up death. He has removed the sting of death. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He has brought us in to his glorious light. Good morning, church. My name is Graham, and I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you this morning as we share in the hope of the resurrection. You know, Christianity hinges on the resurrection. Uh, If you can prove this hinge, the resurrection is false, then Christianity falls apart. Very much the same as this hinge. If I just have to remove the hinge, then it becomes useless and it falls apart. In fact... Albert Ross, uh, who was an author who lived in the early 1900s, who used to write under the pseudonym Frank Morrison, was an atheist, and he was very critical of the resurrection of Jesus. And being skeptical, he set out to analyze all the sources and write a short paper called Jesus, The Last Phase. His paper was written in the hope to prove that the resurrection was a myth. Ross firmly believed that miracles don't happen. He wanted to prove that the story of Jesus' resurrection was just a story. And this is what Ross wrote. He said, When, as a young man, I first began seriously to study the life of Christ, I did so with a very definite feeling that, if I may so put it, his history rested on very insecure foundations. Now, by insecure foundations, he meant the resurrection. Ross was convinced that Jesus was an historical figure, that he died, but he was very unsure about the fact that Jesus was raised to life. So finally, Ross decided to take his writing talent and use his scientific mind, and he was going to put them to work in order to prove once and for all that dead men simply do not rise again. And Ross knew that the hinge of Christianity was the resurrection. So if he could just remove the hinge, then he knew it would fall apart. And there was another man who knew this too, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul. Paul was all in for following Jesus. And preaching the gospel had cost him a lot. It had cost him beatings, imprisonments, rejection. He had been shipwrecked. He was hungry. He carried the burdens of the church. And yet he said, all those things, I consider them light and momentary afflictions because Paul believed in the resurrection. He had met the risen Jesus So Paul goes to great lengths to be clear on the resurrection. And in the passage this morning, he says to the church in Corinth, and he says the same to us, I want you to be clear on these four things. I want you to be clear on the message of the gospel. 
I want you to be clear on the evidence of the resurrection. And I want you to be clear on the importance of the resurrection. And lastly, I want you to be clear on the result of the resurrection. The message. The gospel is a simple message. As Paul says in verse 3 and 4, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The scriptures. In the scripture, Jesus' death His suffering had been predicted hundreds of years before they happened. It's not something new. God wasn't surprised and went, oh no, they're going to kill Jesus. I didn't see that coming. No, he had planned that. He had told his prophets hundreds of years before that the Christ was to suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again. And that is the message. Jesus' death had a great purpose. It says here it was for our sins. The penalty for sin has been paid. Your sin has been paid for. The power of sin is broken. The power of your sin is broken. And one day, even the presence of sin will be removed. Now, if you're sitting at home and you stood up and you shouted hallelujah or amen to that, that's good, right? That's the right reaction. That's how I feel. I look forward to that day when, when I know that sin will be removed from my, li- from my life. Uh, my wife is a woman of great faith, really incredible faith. But there's one thing that really shakes her to almost to the core of unbelief. Um, and that is knowing that one day her husband is going to be perfect. But that's the truth of the gospel. Because I believe in the resurrection, one day I will be in the presence and raised to life with Christ. And I will be like him. You know that the scripture says, when it talks about the love of God, it points to the cross. The fact that Jesus, God himself, would take the place as a sacrificial lamb for me and my sin. What a picture of love. But the scripture also says that the power of God is displayed in the resurrection. See, Jesus died and he was buried. One day you will die and you will be buried. But Jesus was also raised to life. And one day you will be raised to life, to full and eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the hope we have. That's why we never forget the gospel. That's why we protect it. We guard it. We we don't replace it with anything. Because it's only the gospel that has the power to save and give us eternal hope. And Paul's plea is, he goes, don't forget that message. Hold firmly to it. And share this message. And then Paul moves on. He says, but if you want evidence of the resurrection, 
Let's get practical. I'll give you evidence of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is a sign in this world of the future God has in store for us. You see, the Christian faith is not irrational, right? It's not, uh, it's not a blind faith that we simply trust without reason. Faith is grounded in the resurrection. And Paul here gives some evidence for the resurrection. He highlights that Jesus was buried and raised according to the scriptures. As I said before, Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection were written about hundreds of years before he was even born. And that itself is evidence. Then Paul points to the fact that Jesus appeared after his death and burial. He appeared as the risen Christ to Peter, to the 12, to 500 others, to James, all the apostles, and finally to Paul himself. All of these are eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. Multiple eyewitnesses. Now what happens if you get multiple false eyewitnesses? Well, one of two things happens. One is that you will find out that their stories begin to contradict each other. Or you will find that their stories are one unified story. It's as if they all got together in one place at one time and someone stood up and said, this is the story we're going to tell. It's A, B, C. Everyone got that? That's what we're going to tell. But that's not what we find in the scriptures. We find the eyewitnesses, they're not contradicting each other, but they do see it from different perspectives and different experiences, which is exactly what would happen. Paul says this is not even an exhausted list of all the people Jesus appeared to, but it's more than enough. If you want eyewitnesses, you've got more than enough. This shows us that the resurrection is rooted in history. It's grounded in scripture and it's confirmed by experience. As Albert Ross began to, to write his book, he initially intended to publish a paper called The Last Phase. But as he studied the evidence, it became more and more convincing that Jesus did indeed rise from his tomb. Everything began pointing to the fact that Jesus had risen. The book he had set out to write, disproving the resurrection was not the book he completed. In fact, in his book, he writes this chapter called The Book That Refused to Be Written. And instead, he published a book called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. And in it, he details evidence for the resurrection. Now, Paul says, I want you to see the importance of the resurrection. You can't miss this. You see, the resurrection really matters. If there is no resurrection, the consequences are honestly pretty bad. You see, the resurrection was the basis for Paul's preaching. He says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. 
If Christ has not been raised, I'm wasting my time this morning. And your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, you're wasting your time this morning listening to this. You should rather be watching Netflix. But since our faith is based on the resurrection, and if there is no resurrection, your, your faith is, is futile. And you are still in your sins? Forget it. There's no forgiveness if there's no resurrection. There would be no hope for the future. Paul says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if there's no resurrection. They've simply died and they are lost. In fact, Paul concludes that without the resurrection, Christianity is worse than nothing. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. People should look at us. If there is no resurrection, people should look at us and just feel sorry for us. Um, I went to an all-boys high school, and all-boys high schools are unique, and there's something very strange that happens with boys' friendships in an all-boys uh, high school. But um, I had a very good mate called Simon Lester, and uh, Simon invited a whole bunch of, of friends over to his house for the weekend. And off we went. And Simon had a younger sister who was two years younger than the rest of us. And her name was Catherine. And she was a very beautiful girl. And over the course of the weekend, I, I chatted to her a few times and we laughed a little bit. Uh, but that was it. But then on Monday morning, Simon Lester comes up to me and he gives me a letter. Now, this was the days before internet, before social media, people actually wrote letters to each other and they used other friends as couriers to pass them on. So Simon passes me this letter and he says, this is for you from my sister. And my heart just beats. I mean, it jumps in my chest. I open this letter and it's got like, you know, this little colors they're all used for different words and little pictures and doodles all over this thing. And the whole day, my thoughts are just on this letter, thinking about Catherine, and then thinking, how am I going to reply to this letter? So that night, I just agonized for hours and hours, thinking, how am I going to reply to this letter? And finally, after, after draft and redraft and writing and rewriting, I think I've come up with this masterpiece, right? So I fold it up. I hardly sleep that night. I'm so excited to give it to Simon the next day. Tuesday morning comes along. First thing in the morning, I see Simon. I go up to him and I say, Simon, give this to your sister, please. Simon smiles. He takes the letter, puts it in his pocket. And he says, I will do. And he walks away. Ten minutes later, the bell rings and it's time for us to go into class. We all file into class and... Once we're there, Simon stands on his desk and proceeds to take the letter out of his pocket, which I had given him 10 minutes earlier, and then proceeds to read it in front of the whole class. And I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling all these emotions. I'm like turning bright red of embarrassment. I'm feeling like, oh my goodness, my mate has just got one over on me. But most of all, I felt this this emptiness, this deceit that, oh my goodness, it's not really 
true. Everything that I'd put my hope in wasn't really true. Simon had been the one who had written the letter and given it to me. And all this time thinking about Catherine, all this time spending writing this letter was all in vain because it wasn't true. The resurrection is not a take it or leave it matter. It's not like you can just say, well, I kind of like the stories of Jesus. I like this and this, but oh, the resurrection, no, I don't believe that. It is the basis of our faith. It is the hinge on which we base everything. So Paul says, you need to look at the result of the resurrection. And he says, it is true. It is true. The tomb really is empty. The, he really is alive. It is the hinge and we cannot compromise on the resurrection. The hinge, the resurrection is very strong and we rejoice in it. We put our hope in it and we should be shouting aloud, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says it like this in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Therefore, the resurrection is certain. One day, all those who are in Christ will be raised from the dead. Then death will be destroyed. And right now, he is now the undisputed king. And therefore, he cannot be ignored. In verse 28, it says, Who put all things in subject under him, that God may be all in all. He is the king. He is the risen king, and he cannot be ignored. You know, you can examine all the evidence that Julius Caesar invaded Britain in 54 BC. And by the way, there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that Julius Caesar invaded Britain in 54 BC. But there is 20 times more evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. But you could examine this evidence of Julius Caesar invading Britain and you could come to the conclusion that it is true that Julius Caesar did in fact invade Britain, but it would make zero difference to your life. You would go on living exactly the same way as you did before, but not so with the resurrection. You see, the resurrection changes everything and it cannot be ignored. If it happened, it changes everything. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, said this. He said, he, he being Jesus, has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. And get this, everything is different because he has done so. Because the resurrection is certain, Paul writes, he is willing to risk everything. He says, we endanger ourselves every hour. Paul says, I die every day. 
He's a hundred percent, wholeheartedly, fully committed to the Lord because of the resurrection. It gave him this incredible confidence to lay down everything because of the hope that he had in Jesus. And it should give us the same confidence. I mean, Paul even writes, he goes, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Paul was willing to risk everything because of the certainty of the resurrection. And Paul even says the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection is one of the reasons that should, should stop us from sinning. You know, one of Satan's tactics is to start with unbelief. If he can make you doubt the message of the gospel, if he can make you doubt the evidence of the resurrection, if he can make you doubt the importance of the resurrection, or if he can make you doubt the result of the resurrection, then you'll be tempted to sin. You'll be tempted to do things your way, thinking that it's not true. In a sense, all sin stems from unbelief. It stems from this idea that doubting that God is who he says he was, that he's done what he said he's done. And behind all that is doubting that God is good. Brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to see the full significance of the resurrection. There was a, a father who was driving along with his young son in the back of the car and a, a bee flew in the window and the little boy in the back starts freaking out. He was hyper allergic. He was very scared of bees and this bee is buzzing around and the dad just turns around and in like father-like fashion, he just stretches out and he grabs the bee this perfect catch, and he's holding onto the bee, and then he opens his hand, and the bee begins flying around again, and again the son starts crying and, and becoming terrified as he sees this bee flying around, and the dad turns to his son, he goes, my boy, my boy, look at my hand, look at my hand, and on his hand you can see the sting of the bee is in his hand. The father has taken the sting. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has taken the sting. We don't need to be afraid anymore. The sting of death, it's gone. Jesus has removed it by taking our sins on the cross. And then with the power of the resurrection rising again, with a promise of life for all of us. You know, Albert Ross, when he finished writing his book, said this. He goes, I was brought to the unexpected shores of salvation. You see, Albert Ross didn't just write a book and become convinced that the resurrection is true. He knew he had to change. He came to know 
Jesus. He came to know that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness, but found that there was forgiveness for him at the cross. And he came into this beautiful relationship with Christ. You know, Albert Ross would go on to write many historical works. And at the time, they were said to be great works. And the secular media gave them great praise. But Ross died in 1950. And most of his books are all but forgotten, except one. Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. It is still a Christian classic and apologetics, proving to be a truly brilliant piece of analytical work into the events surrounding the trial, the crucifixion, the burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection has stood the test. Brothers and sisters, the message of Jesus, his death, and resurrection is good news. It is the gospel. It is good news. You are to receive it and believe it. You are to take your stand on it. You are to hold it firmly. And like Paul, you are to pass it on to others. So what can we do at a time like this where we're stuck at home? We're not out meeting people. What can we do? Well, I had a call this week from Pastor Timon, and, and we were discussing this very thing. What could we do? And one thing that we decided we would do as a challenge, but more as a, as a witness to your faith, is to put out on your social media, whatever you use, Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever you use, to put it out there, one simple message. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. What a witness that'll be. Six, seven hundred of us writing this witness to our Lord. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, he has risen. I would love to pray for you. Father, thank you that Jesus died for my sin. And you raised him from the dead so that I could be totally forgiven, set free, and one day be raised with Christ. Lord Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me to pass on this message of the gospel as of first importance. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we celebrate your victory over the grave this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.